several areas, areas where people from other religions or even non-religious individuals may have misconceptions about Christianity. And I just want to mention a few. Um, there are misconceptions about the Lord's identity. In Christianity, Jesus Christ is believed to be the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity who became incarnate, took on human form, died for humanity's sin, and rose and been misunderstood by those of other religions who may view Jesus merely as a prophet, a great teacher, or a moral leader rather than recognizing him as God. Also, we have misconceptions about grace and works. Uh, believe that salvation is the God and it is through his, his, by his grace, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not something that can be earned, good deeds or moral behavior. You see that in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And this doctrine can be a point of confusion for people of other religions, which may emphasize the role of human effort or good works in attaining spiritual merit or salvation. They believe you have to do something in order to be right with God. And then there's the idea, the teaching or the doctrine of the Trinity. And as you know, we believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. That is often misunderstood people mistakenly think that Christians worship three separate gods or that they might, or they become confused or, uh, and, or may not understand what we believe about the roles of the Trinity, three persons in one. And then there's the word itself, the Bible. The Bible is viewed by Christians as the inspired word of God, and is composed of the Old and New Testament. However, people from other religions or no religions, uh, no religious backgrounds, might view it merely as a collection of stories, moral teachings, or historical documents. That's something that happened back then. It has nothing to do with it. They may not understand the role of the Bible in guiding the Christians, the Christian faith and practice. And so in our practicing um, rituals such as communion and baptism, sometimes that can confuse people as well who are unfamiliar with our faith. The meaning and significance behind what we do often require explanation, so we may need to understand the profound spiritual implications as it relates to Christian practice. And then there's the diversity within Christianity. There's also the practice. 
evil. Some people struggle to understand how Christians reconcile the existence of a loving, omnipotent God with the presence of evil and suffering in the world. People have a hard time dealing with that. And so, uh, in those struggles, in having to deal with suffering in the world, the Christian response to these problems vary, but it typically involves an understanding of human free will, the consequences of sin, and the belief a future divine justice and restoration, which oftentimes give us hope. It gives the believer confidence because we understand that outside of us, there's a God, as we are reminded of in our prayer meeting, there's a God who is sovereign over all things. King over all things. As the scripture says, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And the beautiful thing about that, God, who is the creator, uh, which lets us know that everything in creation is under his rule and his authority, which gives us confidence in reality that he has all things under control. Nothing moves him. And so we have that great confidence. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 7. And today we're going to continue in this wonderful gospel. I'm going to begin at verse 14. Verse 14. And what we're going to do is journey back to the bustling temple courts in Jerusalem, where Jesus stands ready to teach us through the Holy Spirit, just as he did a thousand years ago. God is still active today. His spirit is still able cause dead men to come. He's able to regenerate the dead man's soul and bring life. And that's what we're hopeful for today. Those who do not know Christ, may today be the day of salvation. And the scripture reminds and tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why it's so important for us to begin with the word. God so that we might receive the directions that God have left, left us. The acronym is used for the Bible, the scriptures, as basic instructions. Basic instructions? What is it? Before leaving earth. Thank you. I felt real good when I started out. You know, I had, I had, I had a little momentum there. And it just, it was gone. <laughs> Basic instructions before leaving earth, right? which is a great reminder for us to, to continue. We must be disciplined, right, in going to uh, the word of God, right? receive instructions. John chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. Of the feast, 
Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the Father, and you circumcised the man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not a man? Whom they seek to kill. And here he is, speaking openly. They say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the ice? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus. Proclaimed as he was in the temple, you know me, know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Our Lord and our God, thank you for your word. Pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would help us to understand what your word says and what it means. We pray that you would activate us with your word. We pray that you would help us to the treasures that are found within your word. We pray, Lord, that you would illumine your word. Peel back the layers that we might see you as you are, that we might know you more, that we might leave here different, not being the same practicing 
all of the truths that is found in your word, making it our way of life. Your word is into our feet and a light into our pathway. Help us now, Lord. And Lord, please help the little children that they may too receive your word. May they too believe and come to know you as Lord and as Savior. We pray all of these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, Discovering Truth and Authority in the Mist Confused World. But what we're seeing here are people who are questioning the authority of Jesus Christ. But before I begin, I want to just give a, a brief explanation of what's going here, going on here by going back so that we might understand the context. So I want to begin with a brief explanation of the context that we're, we're considering for today's message. On last time, we discussed how obedience, it was necessary. Uh, for obedience to the Father. And that's why the Lord Jesus wasn't concerned about what everyone else was doing. He wasn't concerned about the threats that were upon his life and wanting to kill him. Christ gave us an example on how we should learn how to suffer and confront fears for the sake of others' will. Also in the previous verses, the Lord taught how obedience teaches us how it's better to be patient in waiting on God's timing because the choice we make can leave a lasting impression. In addition, the Lord also taught us how to stand alone in obedience to will than to give in to the pressures from the people around us in a chaotic world. It's important for us to obey the word of God. Lastly, the Lord taught us how to navigate opposition. Though the Jews wanted to kill our Lord, he did not let that dissuade him from the mission God had given him. And so he taught us how we ought to be wise and discerning in doing the Father's will. So as we gather together on this beautiful Sunday, 
this blessed Sunday, we find ourselves navigating a world filled with confusion, filled with voices that clamor for attention and claim to have all the answers. But who really holds the absolute authority? And where should we turn to find the truth? Find ourselves pulled in different directions. Many people in different ways will try to captivate us by what they believe we ought to do. And so today we will explore this fascinating passage from the Gospel of John. It's going to set, in, set us in the midst of the Feast of Booths, one of the major Jewish festivals. We find Jesus teaching openly in the temple courts. He's astounding the crowds with his wisdom, and he's stirring up a whirlwind of questions about his identity and his authority. And so in this passage, Jesus presents us with crucial truths about his divine origin, his unique authority, and his invitation to seek truth from the true source. And so as we engage this scripture, we will grapple with vital themes of of authority, understanding the true spirit of the law and the identity of Jesus Christ himself. And as we embark on this exploration, let's open our hearts and our minds, seeking God's guidance to discern true spiritual authority in our lives, to understand the spirit of his commands, and to solidify our understanding Christ's identity. For in understanding these truths, we can navigate the challenges of our times with grace, with wisdom, and with unwavering faith. Because trials will come, persecution will come. The Lord taught us how to deal with the challenges we will face. So what is the relevance of this passage to our contemporary world? John 7, 14 through 29 is relevant for us today in our modern culture and society for several reasons. In this passage, Jesus asserts that his teachings comes directly from the Father. In a culture that often questions the authority and relevance of Jesus. This passage reaffirms his divine authority and the importance of his teachings. It reminds us that the wisdom of Jesus is not of human origin, but divine. Thus, it is eternal, unchanged, unchanging and highly relevant for all cultures at all times including our own. Jesus the question 
Another reason, Jesus' discussion with the Jewish leaders about the Sabbath and circumcision highlights the dangers of legalism and misunderstanding the spirit of God's command. God is not commanding us to somehow make us uncomfortable in the sense we don't enjoy living for Christ and obeying the word of God. God is wanting us to have joy. He's wanting us to have And so going, there's going to be a need of correction. And that's the spirit of It is to bring us closer to God. Meant necessarily for rules and regulations so that we cannot enjoy life. But it's to correct us so that we might enjoy it to the full. And so God is... Is helping us. In our contemporary society, we often struggle with the same issues adhering to the letter of the law or societal rules without understanding their underlying purpose. It is to bring us closer to God. And if we miss that reality, to have a hard time in obeying God in all things and in all ways. When we understand that it's meant because of love, when we understand that, then we don't mind obeying God. So Jesus invites us to dig deeper. The Lord is calling us up. He invites us to dig deeper and understanding the heart of God and his commands. He's promoting love through his word. He's promoting justice through his word. Promoting mercy. The Lord is is drawing us close to him. And that just, it doesn't just happen one time. The Lord continues to draw us closer and closer to him. So we must understand that. The people were divided about who Jesus was. Some believed he was the Messiah, while others did not. And so this passage invites us to seek, to discern, and embrace the truth about his identity and his mission in a world full of fleeting voices, misinformation, the ability to discern the truth is and so, this is important. There's a reason why the crowd marveled at Jesus. Because they considered him untrained, yet he spoke profound truth. Jesus teaches us not to undervalue anyone based on their background or human credentials. In a society obsessed with qualifications, this passage reminds us that divine wisdom and insight often come from unexpected sources. In essence, John 7 through 14 through 29 is relevant. It's a relevant passage because it addresses our modern need for 
authentic spiritual authority, understanding the heart behind actions, discerning truth amidst of confusion, recognizing divine wisdom. So the wisdom of Jesus, we see in verse 15, is an unexpected source of teaching. According to the text, the Jews were astonished at how much Jesus knew about God. They were amazed. They couldn't believe it because they're reminded that this is Joseph's son. This, this, is, this is the one we know who dealt with wood. And here it is. He's considering himself to be the son of God. And so in verses 14 and 15, it says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Understand these verses. It's helpful to have some context. Feast mentioned here is the Feast of Boots, also known as Feast of Tabernacle or Sukkot, a Jewish festival that lasts days. During this time, Jewish people built and lived in booths. Right? This is the festival of booths. Or you can consider it huts. Think about a, a hut. That is, that is built. They bring together all of these things. And what was that for? It was to remember the Israelites' time in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. The Feast of Booths was to remember what happened there and how they struggled to obey God. They struggled to honor God. And even in that time of disobedience, God would rain down manna from heaven and he would feed them. He would love them despite their disobedience. So the Feast of Booths was to remind them of who God was and what he had done. Remind them of the love of God. And so here it is there in the middle of that. And the Lord decides to go to the temple. He decides to, to, go through, to go to the temple. And so during the feast, Jerusalem was crowded, crowded with people who came from all over to celebrate. And in the midst of Jesus, I mean, in, in the midst of this, Jesus went up into the temple, the central place of religious life and teaching. And so although Jesus had not been formally trained as a, as a rabbi, started Let's understand that this was not necessarily unusual of itself. It was common for some different teachers to take turns speaking in the temple. But verse 15 tells us that this was different. It was not the same. This was not this was something the Jews or Ma was saying. How is it this, that this man, how can this man 
had learning. What was unusual content and the authority of Jesus, the Jews, likely is referring to really uh, the religious leaders and the teachers of, of the law. Those are the ones that were amazed because they were getting nuggets, if you would, from God himself. And they're wondering, they're in amazement, in amazement. How could this be? They knew Jesus back. He was a carpenter from Nazareth, not a scholar from Jerusalem. Didn't study under famous rabbis, which was Usual, with the usual way to become recognized as a teacher. Paul was known for being, for studying under Gamaliel. You, you, you were known by the, the, the person whom you studied under. You, were, you would be known as coming from their school. They're from the school of Gamaliel. So, so they knew how the process process worked. They knew his background. Yet his teaching was full of wisdom. It was full of understanding. And in the midst of all that, have you ever heard a sermon before and you heard the word of God preached in such a way where it reached you where you were, Jesus was opening up and just like they, the disciples said, did our heart burn within as he taught to us the word of God. This is what they were experiencing. Even though they didn't have full light in themselves, they still was able to pray the word of God. They were able to say, mm, who is this man? Speaks to us in this way. Who is this unusual novel? And so in these verses, the tension is set between the religious leaders who cannot reconcile Jesus' wisdom with his lack of formal education and Jesus whose authority and understanding come directly from God. This scenario, this challenges the tradition and the traditional structures of religious authority. And it shows that true wisdom comes from God. Not necessarily from human education or position. This is nothing against the seminaries. Seminaries are good. They're helpful. But God is telling us today that his wisdom is provided to his people, and it is from above, and you don't have to go to a building or institution. We have direct access to God, and we can pull up at any time. And he is ready to help us. He's able to guide us and give us understanding. And so we're reminded of that. Even though he didn't have the formal education, we know that his authority came from heaven. So we want to think about this. Come 
Jesus chose to go into the temple to teach about the middle, to teach in the middle of the feast, showing his perfect obedience, God's timing. In other words, he didn't rush to make his voice heard. He waited for the right time, guided by the Father's will. That reminds us of what the Word of God says. When we're in the Father's will, we can go in the right time and do His will. For Ecclesiastes 3 1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so we pray in God's timing do this and we'll do that. Pray with a mind that not my will but your will be done Lord. And so we must strive to walk in obedience to God's timing in our lives whether that's in our decisions, our actions, our words his guidance in prayer and be patient with him. Trust in in his perfect plan and timing. Then we think about the source. Jesus teaching his divine authority. See that in verses 16 to 18. The Jews were so amazed, they asked, how is it that this man has learning? In these verses, we see a contrast between human expectation and divine reality. The Jews in the crowd were amazed at the depth and the authority of Jesus' teaching, especially since he had not been formally educated in the rabbinical schools. It was unusual for someone without this formal training to speak with wisdom and authority. This is why the crowd Question how Jesus acquired his knowledge. And in this, in these verses, Jesus is going to respond. He's going to help them with this. Jesus is responding to the crowd who are marveling. And the religious leaders who question his authority And the source of this, in verse 16, says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Here Jesus clarifies that the wisdom and understanding he displays do not originate from him. In other words, his humanity. But from God the Father who sent him. His teachings are not the result of human or personal interpretation, but they are divine revelations from God. It implies that his wisdom and understanding surpass human knowledge because it originates from a divine source. Jesus is the glue and the embodiment of God's wisdom sent to pass it along to the people. This is a significant part of the Christian belief in Jesus as the Messiah and the unique revelation of God. It underscores the divine origin and authority of Jesus' teaching, setting them apart from the teachings of human religious leaders. And that's what makes them different. 
Verse 17, if anyone would do God's will, the Lord says, he will know whether the teaching from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Jesus presents a principle for spiritual discernment. That's what he's doing here. If someone genuinely desires to do God's will, they can discern whether teaching align with God's truth. In essence, Jesus says that an open and obedient heart toward God is crucial to understanding and recognizing the truth of God. Verse 18 tells us the one who speaks, he says, on his own authority, seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus contrasts two types of people, those who speak for personal gain and those who speak for the glory of God. So every time we have in sharing the word of God, we must do it as being for the glory of God. That's practice, not to draw attention to our knowledge and the things we know and how much scripture we understand. It's not about us. It is all for the glory of God. And so he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. So Thomas spoke on their authority and were primarily interested in their own honor and benefit. The latter, like Jesus, seek to glorify God and communicate his truth. Jesus essentially indicates his motive is not personal glory, but to honor God the Father, proving the authenticity of his teachings and the messianic claim that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who saves. So this verse highlights authority of Jesus, the importance of an obedient heart, and the selfless motive behind Jesus' ministry. And so, what we see here is that Jesus is asserting that his teaching came not from himself, but from God who sent him. As Christians, we are called. Trust in the words of Jesus, understanding them as divine truth. This requires getting into the Word. It requires study. Right? Those who specialize in um, whether or not something is true as it relates to authenticity, when we're trying to find out what's true, what's not, what's genuine, and what's not, we don't have to study that which is false. We study that which is true. And so therefore, we study the word of God. Therefore, we come to know the word of God so that we might understand what is true and what is not. What aligns itself under the word of God and what is in opposition against the word of God. And so as Christians, we're called to trust in the word. It requires meditating on his word. It requires seeking God's wisdom as we apply these truths. Isn't that what the scripture says? All scripture is given by the 
inspiration of God is profitable doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God helps us to go in the way of God. And that's something we must continue to practice. All scripture, as it says. But that leads us to the next point, which leads to verses 19 and 24 that really deals with misunderstanding of law, a case of misplaced righteousness. So in these verses, Jesus addressed the religious leaders and the crowd about their hypocrisy and misunderstanding of the law. He says, has not Moses given the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? They answer, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus confronts the religious leaders. We know that as we've been studying John, they have been trying to kill him all the while. But yet they're saying, who's trying to kill you? He's confronting them with their own failures to keep the law. And that's what the law really shows us. The law is like a mirror. It shows us that we miss the mark over and over. And over again, the more we look into it, the more we're going to see that we're missing God, missing what he's asking us to do, and we find ourselves failing. So he's accusing them of seeking to kill him, thereby violating the law they profess to uphold. Unaware of the leader's plotting Jesus, the crowd, they jump in. The crowd accuses him of having a demon. This was a common accusation against those who thought to be disillusional or those who would be disruptive. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? In other words, the Lord was going against their traditions. And what if Jesus says, I did one work and you all marveled at it. And the work that he's talking about when they were there, when he caused the man who was an invalid 38 years, he healed him and he began walking. And they saw that. They could not deny that. And they had to say, what do we we say? We, We know that it happened. And so he's calling them out on that. He says, I did one work. Referring to that work, you all marveled. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the Father. And you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. You break the law. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body fail? So he's referring to John 5, where on the Sabbath, He healed that man. He's challenging their hypocrisy by comparing this man's healing and their practice of circumcision. If they can perform circumcision on the Sabbath, which is technically a form of work, why is it wrong for him to bring healing, which is a good deed on the Sabbath as well? You see how the law can become a burden when it's not carried out in the spirit of the law. In the way that it's meant, which is to do good. And so 
reminds them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. And so in verses 25 and 39, they begin questioning his origin. In these verses, Jesus is responding to the crowd and addressing their confusion about his identity. And so the people were puzzled. They are aware that Jesus is a wanted man, yet he is speaking publicly and the authorities aren't doing anything about it. This leads some to speculate whether the authorities have concluded that Jesus really indeed is the Messiah. However, they have some preconceived notions about the origins of the Messiah and they dismiss this possibility because they believe they know Jesus' background. It's, it can't be him. They come back, right? Oh, it just can't be him because we know him. He's from Nazareth. He's, he's married to Joseph's child. This, this can't be the one. We know that the Messiah's origins would be mysterious and unknown. This, this really can't be him. But then the Lord Jesus proclaimed. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple. You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. This is the same thing that the Lord has been constantly saying the whole while. I am from heaven. I am from the Father. Jesus responds to their speculation by affirming that while they might know him, as Jesus of Nazareth, they do not truly understand his divine origin. So he reasserts that he was sent by the Father, whom they do not know. Jesus emphasizes his unique relationship with the Father and mission, challenging their limited perception of who he really is. And so these verses brings confusion around his identity and around his ministry. But he's trying to help them to understand efforts that he's doing and presenting to, to them is about how he's revealing his true nature and mission as the Son of God. Today, this passage can serve as a reminder not to let our preconceptions limit our understanding of Jesus and his divine identity. So he clarifies the misconceptions. The crowds were confused about Jesus' identity despite his efforts to reveal his divine origin. As followers of Christ, we have the responsibility to clarify misconceptions about our faith and to share the truth of Jesus with love and with respect. We see this in 1 Peter 3, right? But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and with respect. So I'm going to close here. Today we have walked in the temple courts Jesus seen him challenge religious hypocrisy and heard him assert his divine 
to. We've seen him confront misunderstanding and invite us into deeper wisdom. He has taught us about spiritual discernment, the heart behind the law, and the significance of his divine mission in a world where it is increasingly challenging to discern the truth from falsehood. Jesus' words. Stand as a beacon, illuminating the path of understanding and righteousness. He invites us to engage our hearts and minds fully, not to accept teachings at face value, but to seek the true spirit and intention behind them. So as we leave here today, let us commit ourselves to be like those who earnestly seek the desire to do God's will, to discern God's truth, to live by it, to know Jesus more deeply. Remember that his teachings are not mere human insights. They are divine revelations meant to guide us and lead us closer to God. And so let us continue to pray for discernment and a willingness to challenge our own understanding for a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 